Welcome to this episode of Halftime Scholars, the series that features the work of independent and emerging researchers. On this episode, we discuss the concerns of government-mandated teacher professional development programs of Indonesia on teacher self-efficacy beliefs, where evidence indicates minimum impact on teacher practices. These concerns are more apparent in mandatory professional development programs implemented in less privileged regions. My guest is Dr. Ria Asi from the School of Education at the University of New South Wales in Australia. Ria's study explores the relationship between teacher perceptions of mandatory professional development and teacher self-efficacy beliefs. Ria, welcome to Halftime Scholars. Hello, Sure. Thank you for having me. If you uh, can give us some idea about your research journey before your PhD work um, and give us some idea of how you started. My research, it's about uh, teacher professional development in Indonesian disadvantaged region. Uh, I'm interested in this topic because uh, it's a very limited knowledge about this research because yeah, it's a very uh, limited research on Indonesian disadvantaged region and most of them are covering English teachers or English lecturers. Now I am going for uh, primary school teachers and I correlate them with the teacher self-efficacy beliefs because teacher self-efficacy beliefs is quite new topic in Indonesia. Nothing much about teacher self-efficacy beliefs until 2017 just in recent four years. So I can kind of correlate between teacher professional development and educational psychology. Okay, and how does your own background fit into this study? What is your background in terms of work professionally? Okay, I have a master in educational policy and also educational management. And in my master degree, I did also a mini research, a mini thesis, about teacher professional development to the primary school teachers. Uh, but at the time, I haven't, I hadn't worked yet with a teacher from the disadvantaged region, but I heard some voices that they perform differently than teachers from the cities or from big cities in Indonesia, from the capital cities. So now I, yeah, and then I decided to go deeper for teachers in the disadvantaged region because yeah, and pretty much interesting because they have different pace and different pathways to craft their work as teachers. And they also receive different treatment in professional development while they are needing the most. But the government give more to teachers in big cities. So yeah, I kind of covered the gap. The gap you identified was about uh, the disparity between the two areas and the way the government policy is being adopted. From this backdrop, can you tell me what inspired you to start researching the relationship between mandatory teacher development programs and teacher efficacy? Teacher professional development in Indonesia is mandatory. They are given free by the government and offered to all Indonesian teachers throughout the nation but they do not really take into account what Indonesian teachers need. So they pretty much give the similar curriculum from the capital city, and they just give it to all teachers throughout the cities or different islands, while teachers in the different regions, they need different treatment. 
some teachers in village or remote or rural areas, they need some approach. They need to learn how to teach students from the disadvantaged background, how to perform teaching from door to door, and then how to make a benefit or make, make the most of their surroundings. But uh, sometimes the curriculum given by the government is dealing with the ICT and how to use the blended learning or online learning while they, some of them don't even have electricity or even a computer or internet access. So the mandatory professional development program is not working very well, it's kind of wasting time and money. So I would like to give bottom-up theory from the ground to give some suggestions to the government, like how would we treat teachers in Indonesia because they come from a different background and they need to treat different students. That That's close to their efficacy because if teachers think like, I cannot do this, I do not have electricity, I do not know how to operate a computer, and then how can I teach that to, the, to my students? That will influence their efficacy. Yeah, so that's quite interesting actually. So uh, if you can maybe give us a little bit more background into the mandatory teacher professional development programs in terms of the policy. So is that, how does that work in Indonesia? Is that a central government program or is that through the regional education departments? How does that work? Uh, well, actually it is from the central government from the capital city and, they, and then they assign the regional education department in every province or every city. Actually, in that stage, they need to craft different curriculum for the teachers, but not all of the regional education department is able to do that. So they just give like what the government give and they just give it raw to the teachers. And the scheme is pretty mandatory because Indonesian teachers have to be certified and to be certified they have to join professional development program and they have and they have to pass a teacher competency test and through that test they will be certified. So if you do not join the series of professional development program and then you cannot join the teacher competency test and then you will not be certified. And if you are certified you will get the double take-home salary and that's yeah pretty helpful for the teachers so yeah many teachers just join this professional development because they are mandatory they they cannot translate what they have learned into their classrooms so can you walk us through what a teacher would uh, encounter when they do enroll into one of these uh, professional development programs what do they learn uh, what are what are the requirements for them and what are some of the outcomes that these programs from a teacher learning point of view so when you join them if you can give us some idea on how that works uh, okay well actually is a series of activities usually in seven days or ten days teachers have to do some seminars and workshops and they have to listen to some facilitators and they will tell you what the uh, some pedagogy like knowledge and then the basic basic um, theory of classroom action research and then how to teach and then how to use some ICT and making some teaching and learning materials things like that and they do not uh, really respond to what teachers need 
So it seems like they assume that teachers are coming into the class with very limited knowledge of teaching. Well, they are experienced teachers. They know how to teach, they know what to teach, and they face the different problems in the classrooms. And this is the thing that actually they need to communicate with the experts or facilitators. They want to share their problems in the classrooms, and then they expect that these facilitators will share the ideas or some solutions how to tackle some problems. But it's a, it's a kind of a miscommunication. The facilitators give the curriculum crafted by the government, while the teachers want something else. So the outcome is not really translated to the classroom. The uh, outcome was very paper-based. It's in the teacher competency test. And we cannot really see the outcome in the student achievement because at the years before, we always have the yearly test for Indonesian students to see if they pass the exam or not, and that is the national exam. But during these recent years, that exam has been deleted. So we just government decide to to give all of the decision to pass the students or not to the school. So it depends on the teacher whether they want to pass their students or not. So yeah, it's kind of messy. like. We give something that they don't need and then they won't listen, they just come. So the attendance doesn't mean that they are learning. Yeah, that's a very uh, a fascinating view of that particular scenario or context. So in this, yeah. in this backdrop, uh, if you can give us more, uh, a little bit more information about uh, what the teachers themselves are in terms of like what the composition of the teachers are. Are they primary? Are they secondary level teachers? And also, uh, how frequently do these mandatory programs take place? So the composition of teacher, there is a civil servant or government teacher, and there are private school teachers, and also the honorary teachers and then non-permanent teachers, so many kinds of teachers. And the government uh, tend to only mandate it, the professional development to be a civil servant or the government teachers, while the honorary or the non-permanent teachers also need that kind of professional development. And usually they need to take it only once in their career before they uh, after they commence to be a, the beginner teacher, they have to undertake this professional development. And then during the year, usually there is uh, additional professional professional development, which is provided by the school. And it is the duty of the principal to appoint which teachers who can join this year's professional development program. So when you are transferred to the other school next year and then you haven't got any program and then it means you don't get anything besides the first one that is mandated for you. So in this context, uh, Ria, can you tell us more about the research side of things in terms of the participants, the research questions you looked at and what methodology you adopted to conduct your research? So my research participants is about 365 teachers in Lima. Yeah, that is uh, one of the disadvantaged regions in Indonesia because I covered so many participants, so I used the pure quantitative methods. And then I have three variables in my study. The first is the mandatory professional development program itself. 
and the second is teachers' geography beliefs, and then acknowledge that there is a gap between these two variables. So I insert in the middle the sources of efficacy information. So I distributed questionnaire to these teachers. There are three sets of questionnaires. And then what I found is that this mandatory professional development program will not work or will not affect teacher self efficacy beliefs. They take into account the sources of efficacy information. Because so it means that the mandatory professional development program came and then you have to pay attention to the surrounding, to the environment of the teachers, whether the curriculum that you offer will work in that region or not. So that's the importance of the sources of efficacy. And these two things will be working together and if they work together, they can uh, raise the level of teacher self-efficacy beliefs. So the goal of teacher professional development program is actually to raise the level of teacher self-efficacy belief. Because if your efficacy level is raised and then teachers become more confident and they, they can teach better. So how to raise that confidence, then we have to employ the surrounding environment, how, how that will work together, the curriculum and the environment surrounding the surrounding teachers. Yeah, that's quite interesting. Um, I think that's a quite comprehensive way of uh, looking at it. So was it purely uh, the, in terms of the, uh, the duration of the study, how long did you conduct uh, the surveys and questionnaires and uh, type of uh, approach? About four to five months because I have to go, I had to go around an island. I visited about 23 public schools and in one public schools I got about 20 to 30 teachers, and I think that's quite representative because one primary school usually consists of 40 teachers. And in Bima, in that particular island or region, there's only 30 primary schools, so I cover about 23 of them. Yeah, it needs, yeah, about five months for the whole data collection. Once you had conducted the, the, the research uh, in that uh, location, what were some of the findings that you were able to draw out and was there anything that surprised you? So the thing that surprised me the most is that sources of efficacy are four. There are mastery experience, vicarious experience, social persuasion and psychological state. In the Western findings, because efficacy has been there for about 20 years or so, Mystery experience is the strongest sources of efficacy because the more they master, the more they will be confident. But in a disadvantaged region, mystery experience is the weakest sources of efficacy. So it proves that teachers in the remote island or disadvantaged region, they don't feel confident to teach and they don't feel like they have the mastery to teach. And the strongest efficacy information is the psychological state, how their physiological and also psychological condition affect uh, their teaching. Because yeah, they're surrounded by hardships and they, cannot, they can hardly access learning resources and also the ICT things that we need. So the physiological state affects them the most while the other, like social persuasion and also vicarious experience is just the same as so. So it means that we have to treat teachers in a different region differently. 
I hope that the uh, Indonesian Mandatory Professional Development Program will improve teachers' mastery more and pay attention to their physiological and also psychological condition because that's the strongest factor that can boost their confidence to teach in the kind of teaching. Yeah, that's a very fascinating um, insight. How did your own views of the uh, teacher efficacy change from before you started the research to conducting it and also uh, through the finding stage? What was your own opinions like and what sort of uh, thinking were you uh, involved in with yourself or maybe with your peers or your supervisors? How did that uh, shape, shape out? Uh, it's not really my own thinking, but I do agree with one notion from the uh, Western research that they say the research about self-efficacy is too westernized, is too western-centered, that all the whole world agree that one particular source of efficacy is that thing, the mastery. And then one of these uh, popular scholars in psychology, he said that there is a need to conduct the research about teacher efficacy or everyone's efficacy in the different region because it the culture or condition of every country may give a different insight about how efficacy works in different side of the world. And then I try that. I like adopt this kind of survey. This is from the US and from the Australia that's quite westernized. I adopt it and bring it to the uh, Indonesian Teams. And that's quite surprising that many of the items are deleted. So originally they have like 113 items in a questionnaire. And then after I distributed to Indonesian teachers and I counted with some CFA and almost 24.0, it becomes only 70 or 80 items. So many items were collected. So you mentioned those items were deleted. Was that purely for cultural reasons or was it that it did not relate to that particular context or why why do you believe that was mostly related to the cultural context and then because uh, western people tend to be, tend to be very encouraging and then yeah they only uh, they tend to looking at our positivity and then like bring out bring the best in in ourselves and then than to point out our past, past success or past experience, but that doesn't really apply in Indonesia. Like uh, Indonesian people tend to think like I have to do something more, I have to do this better because people keep pointing out their weaknesses. So that kind of cultural thing affects the sources of efficacy, and then the uh, collective uh, culture. The Western people tend to be more individual; they tend to be more confident in themselves. And they think like if there is one problem, I can tackle it with my own solution and I can share with my colleagues. But in Indonesia, especially in my research, I found that they hold the views of the uh, authority, authoritative parties higher than their own views. So they think like if the principal say so, I have to do so. If the head of the education department region say so, I have to do so. so they tend to be more uh, dependent in this collective culture rather than the individual culture. Yeah, that's uh, quite interesting. And I think um, there's a couple of things I'd like to pick up on that. When you mentioned that the, the cultural differences. Uh, firstly, did you yourself 
complete the surveys and what did you find out about yourself? Oh yeah, I complete the surveys and yeah, I found myself quite collective. Like, and that will hampering our, when we want to go on, when we want to be better and it's quite hampering because I think like when one of my friends are left behind, I cannot leave them behind, we have to go together. Things like that. Well, actually, if we go first and then we can see what's on top, we can share to the others. Yeah, but that doesn't really apply in the collective culture. We have to do everything together. That's that's quite hampering. Yeah, that's an interesting finding, actually. So moving on, um, uh, Ria, in, after the these findings, what were some of the actual challenges that you faced during your whole PhD experience, your study, your research? If you can share some of those insights oh wow <laughs> well there's a lot but the most important thing is that uh, supportive supervisor is very important because they will like help us to tackle all of our problems and the uh, and the hardship that you have to encounter the first thing is the adaptation. During the first years, I found it is the hardest because I have to do everything not in my first language. I have to do things in English. And then I have a major in English during my undergrad. I have a bachelor in English. And it seems like that's not enough. They, they think like my English is like still sounds like Indonesian English and it's too redundant. I use too many flowery words and that's quite shocking. So I have to readjust all of the whole my uh, English style. And then I found myself transforming by the end of my PhD. I, and not to say that better, but that I know what, what words that should be deleted and things. And yeah, the adaptation in the academic world, actually. We, we have to keep. Like, if you're not reading, you have to write, and then if you're not writing, do something just like, I don't know, tidying up your references, tidying up the margins or, or everything. Just don't sit down and do nothing. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, so, if you move along, with the finding side of things, what were some of the recommendations or suggestions you made to you know various stakeholders? The thing that I found, yeah, that is... The difference between male and female teachers, well, the female teachers funded from the mandatory PG program, professional development program, is more beneficial to them, while the male teachers find it burdening, and then they feel like they are the only sources, because sometimes the teachers will keep asking them how to do this and how to do that, while they, I also joined this, I also do that. Well, if it is mandatory and general for all Indonesian teachers, that should benefit both parties. So, yeah, I think that's the other findings that I would like to suggest. Um, I guess an important feature of uh, your work is to communicate with different audiences about your research, about the findings, and so on. What is your strategy when you communicate with these different audiences? So, so far, I've only communicated to two different groups. Like, the first group is easy, so researchers and then supervisors and also my colleagues in university. I just pretty much talking about, yeah, everything just like in the textbook. But the second, if I wish to deliver my findings to the teachers themselves, I have to craft my words so that it match work that they are facing in. Because 
some because the yeah, teachers do not uh, really care whether it is efficacy or sources or whatever. They just want to know that they are heard and like boosting my confidence and supporting my psychology psychological condition is important. So please do that. And then how can I raise my confidence? Things like that. So I have to craft it in a more teacher way. Use use their use their daily words. And the third one, I think it's quite a fail because I joined the three minute thesis competition. Yeah, and, and it means I have to uh, explain it to the uh, audience of every background they are coming from science, engineering, and also it just, it just like a lot of people. And I think that doesn't work quite well. So I, yeah, I think I, I'm still learning about how to communicate to the uh, people other than researchers, lecturers, and teachers, the other academics. I'm still, I do not have any strategy yet for that. But it's interesting, you have uh, spoken to these audiences and it's an, and like you, like you said earlier, it's, it's about, for example, achieving mastery. It's about, uh, you know, practicing and uh, keep on improving. And I think that's an ongoing process, especially, with, you know, uh, language, different audience types. But it's very interesting. So I guess maybe finally, uh, where do you believe your research is maybe currently and where do you, would you like to, which area would you like to research next? Uh, currently, I think, I personally think that it already shows how efficacy works in a different culture, different region, especially in a developing country. It's very different from the developed country. And then the next, I would like to contact the teachers that I already distributed the questionnaire for, I would like to talk to them like one by one to do more qualitative way now to do some member check or anything because some of them mentioning about the things that is not covered in the efficacy. Like some female teachers say that they are the only breadwinner in their family and that they don't have time for another professional development because they have to do another job because like she doesn't have any husband or anything. Uh, she wishes for the best professional development given by the government and that hope is not fulfilled and then she cannot do the other professional development because she has to pay for it. And yeah, that's, that's quite a lot. The life around teacher is more than that. So I would like to do some more qualitative research based on my quantitative findings. So I hope it will complement each other. Yeah, that's that's quite interesting. I think that will add to the wider body of work as well. And probably lastly, Ria, um, outside the world of research, how do you, uh, what do you do in your spare time? Oh, spare time? Yeah, taking care of my family customers and then, yeah, besides, I have to do like some publications or something. I also like manage journal, Indonesian journal. Yeah, things like that. Mostly researching and writing teaching not so much i only got four credits so that's quite a lot of spare time for my own writing research yeah that's quite interesting so you're still uh, uh, quite involved in the in the space of academia even you, during your spare yeah. time so interesting so uh, ria i'd like to thank you very much for joining the show today and sharing your insights and i would like to wish you all the very best uh, in uh, your next step in, in your academic journey Thank you. You too, Sura, and you too. <laughs> Thank you for having me.
That's all for this episode of Halftime Scholars. If you like us, give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and join us for the next episode.